a story um, that came out of a, a really tragic, tragic place in our country just a few years ago. This is Virgil Smith. Virgil, at the time, was 13 years old, an eighth grader living in Dickerson, Texas, which is just southeast of Houston. And he was at home playing video games when the first thunderclaps from Hurricane Harvey began to be heard throughout the city. And he was playing video games and um, online with another friend who lived just a few blocks down, and they were playing this game together. And um, the power went out, and things got a little bit more difficult, and then water started to seep in through Virgil's apartment on the first floor. And so Virgil made his way up to the, the second floor to higher ground where he was sure he would be safe. And while he was there, he still communicated with his friend via text, only to find out that the house that he was in, um, his friend, was now filling with water, and he was trapped and could not get out of his house to safety. And so Virgil, an eighth grader, 13 at the time, got an air mattress that he slept on from his house, got into the water outside during the devastation of Hurricane Harvey, and paddled a few streets over on his air mattress and rescued his friend. And you, you hear stories like that and think, wow. But the story gets better. The police learned just the next day that through the course of the night, Virgil Smith rescued 17 other people from the floodwaters of Hurricane Harvey. And Virgil was so quiet about this, he told no one. But it was through word of mouth that some young boy had rescued numerous people. And you hear stories like this, and you, you wonder, what is it that inspires people? Or what is it that's different about people like Virgil? who seem to have no special gifts or talents, just simply a heart to help people when the opportunity arises. A heart to see people who are in need and reach out to them. What is it that makes them so special? And for me, it inspires a really important question of why are you here? Why are you in, and I don't mean like this morning, like I got up and got dressed and made it to worship, but the bigger picture, why do you exist? Why are you here? And if you go back to the ancient origins of this question in Genesis, you find that God's creation, man and woman, were given this purpose of belonging in this world and being a part of this world. And their role was to help creation flourish and take God's goodness and magnify it and multiply it and move it throughout this creation, specifically in the people of Israel. That their role was to represent God, to be this kingdom of priests that would make Him known and praised throughout this world. It was an identity that Israel found so much power and privilege in that this is who we are, and we were chosen, and we were set apart. But it's this mentality 
that continues to grow and continues to manifest itself and become prideful that causes a problem in the church in Rome. Because you have these Israelite believers, these Torah-observant Jews who continue to say, well, we are the ones who are privileged. We are the ones that have a special place in God's world. And we're better than you. And the only way that you Gentile converts can be right with God is to become like us. And if you can become like us and move in this direction and start following the Torah and, and following um, and, and making sure you're circumcised and obeying the Sabbath and abstaining from certain foods, then you can be right with God and everything can be okay. And so in this series, we've been talking about how the book of Romans is working in Paul's world to mend this divide. This division between these two groups who both see themselves as, as privileged and proud because of what God has done in their life. And they use it as an opportunity to say, look, it, we're set apart, we're different, and you need to be like us. And in their desire for everyone else to conform to them, the church starts to see this divide. And it's the, the brokenness within each of them that is causing this brokenness within the church, this fracture, this, this problem. And so in chapters 3 and 4 of Romans, Paul really deals with three predominant questions. The first one has to do with election and privilege. The, these people who um, are chosen, they're God's elect. The second question has to do with boasting. Who is it? What is it that they're boasting in? And the third one that we'll deal with next week is about a guy named Abraham, who's the father of their faith. And um, so Paul here in Romans 3 begins by really honing in and addressing these Jewish believers. And not necessarily all the Jewish believers, but specifically the Jewish believers who sit in judgment of everyone else because they are not becoming like them. We're chosen, we're set apart, and you're not right, and you're not like us. And so Paul begins with a really important question. He says, what advantage is then, is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Is there an advantage that I'm Jewish, that I'm God's chosen people? Is there an advantage that I'm circumcised, that, that I've been set apart? Is there an advantage? And he says, much in every way. Yes, there's great advantage. You are special. You're, you're set apart. You're different. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. They've been entrusted with the words of God, the oracles, the revelation of God. God has spoken to you, and he said, you are going to be different, and here is how you're going to be different. Here's how you're going to be a blessing. And God has spoken those words to you, to this people, and set you apart and made you different. There is a huge, huge advantage there. But then he asked another question. But what if some of those who were entrusted with the very words of God, what if some were unfaithful? What if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? 
In other words, will their pursuit of other things lead to God's pursuit of other things and other people? If they are unfaithful to what God has called them to be, will God be unfaithful to them? And he says, not at all. Not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar. And he starts to, to really to dive in and really poke and prod at this issue because every human. Whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean every human? We're the special ones. We are the ones entrusted with the words of God. We are the ones who are set apart. We are the ones who are different. What do you mean every human? What what do you mean all of us are the problem? See, Israel was God's solution to the problem of systemic sin and death. The solution to fix the brokenness of the world was to call out this people that he calls Israel and send them into this world to be a blessing and to be a light so that all the world would be blessed through them. And the problem is that Israel, the solution, actually becomes part of the problem. The the one who is intended to be the solution to sin and death becomes part of the problem in the picture. A few years back, um, I was really kind of struggling with some allergies, um, getting used to East Texas and um, pollen and pine trees and all those things. And I went to my doctor, and I sat down on the table, and he said, well, what's wrong? And I said, <clears throat> I, I got this stuff in my throat, <clears> throat> and I can't get rid of it. And it's making it tough to, to breathe. And it was, it was fascinating. My doctor looked at me and said, <clears throat> Well, see, the problem is, <clears throat> excuse me, I found it fascinating. The one who was trying to fix my problem had the exact same struggle that I had. The, the problem that I was facing, the one who was there to help fix my problem was susceptible to. The people who were intended to be part of the problem are part of the, or, or I'm sorry, they're part of the solution, become part of the problem. And what Paul wants them to understand is it's the, the, the law and, and God. Um, excuse me, our sinfulness magnifies God's holiness. Our sinfulness and our, our part of the problem just simply is going to go on to magnify God's holiness. And so he says this in Romans 3, and he's pulling from some Old Testament passages and Psalms and Isaiah, and he says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. And he, he starts out, is there advantage in being a Jew? Absolutely. Yes, there's advantage. And he comes back and he says, no, there's none. No no advantage at all. Well, what's the, the change? The change is the human condition. 
Is there something special with these people? Absolutely. They were given the words of God. But the problem is they haven't obeyed the words of God. So therefore, there is no advantage. Not at all. For we have already made the charge that the Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. Their poison, the poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And it seems to be so hopeless, because these, um, these passages are really referring to Israel. And these are passages that they would know, and they would know well. And to hear themselves is part of the problem. Wait, wait, we're supposed to be the solution. We're God's chosen people. And now you're saying we're part of the problem. Because the problem isn't a Gentile problem and a Jewish problem. The problem is a humanity problem. The problem goes throughout, it echoes throughout the foundations of this world because of people. And he says this, that there is no one who is righteous. No one is righteous. And and righteousness, if you're not real sure what righteousness means, it's conformity to a standard which is understood to be morally good. It's understood, this, this moral conformity. And so where does that standard come from for the Jews? It comes from the Word. It comes from the law. And so there's this moral standard in the law that God has given them, and their only task is God's people is to live up to that, to conform to it, to be morally good. And the problem is they can't. See, Israel wanted to be known as Torah people. They they wanted to be known as people of the law, people of the Torah. That, that, That was their identity. The problem is if you claim to be people of the law and you don't follow the law, you can't actually be people of the law. But, but we tried our best. We worked as hard as we could. So um, I guess 15 years ago, my wife and I stood um, on a stage similar to this. And we made these vows to one another. That I'm going to be faithful to you for the rest of our life. That, that I'm committed to you. And my hope and my desire is that I would be a faithful husband to my wife. But if I were to go out this next week and have an affair, then we ask the question, have I fulfilled my promise to be a faithful husband? No. But but what what if it was just once? Am I, am I, can I be a faithful husband? No, because that is there in my past. It, it cannot be changed. 
but what if I work really hard to make it up, and what if she forgives me? Can, can I be faithful from that point? Well, yes. But am I still defined as a faithful husband? No. Because that is a part of my past. And, and you have Israel, who is so set on being these people of the Torah. And what they do is they begin to pick out the laws that they're the best at following. And they're saying, well, well, look at my righteousness. Look at how good I am. And, and thankfully, the good news is things are a lot different now because we don't do that. Or do we? Do, do you find the things that you're really good at obeying and point out how good and righteous and holy you are? And do you find your identity there? Well, you know, I, I don't ever use bad language, or I don't have sex outside of marriage, or I don't drink excessively or do drugs, or I don't look at pornography, or I don't have a fair... I mean, we, we start naming the things. And it's interesting it seems like the things that we point out the most in people, in other people, are the ones that we never struggle with. See, this is their problem. And for the Jews and the Gentiles, it causes this incredible division. Because you have these Gentiles that are saying, we can, we're free, we can do whatever we want, and they're they're pushing back against what these Jews want them. And Paul is addressing these Jews because these Jews are sitting in judgment of the Gentiles. And they're saying, you're wrong. You need to follow Torah. You need to be like us. And Paul's big picture, big idea is to simply say, no, you're wrong. All of you are unfaithful. All of you are have sinned. All of you fall short. None of you are righteous. Which I will tell you is a pretty demoralizing message. Right? Because for most of us, we think of ourselves as good. We, we are good people. And goodness, the definition begins with us. What is goodness? Well, goodness is to be like me. Paul says, there's, there's your problem. Because the law defined what goodness looked like. The law gave them this picture of goodness. And they wanted to follow and say, look at where we stand. Because we like scorecards. We, we like the law because the law gives us something to check off. To say, we're good, we're right, we're righteous, and everyone else should conform to us. And if everyone was like us, then the world would be a better place. And it's this brokenness that is breaking apart the church in Rome. And so Paul says this in Romans 3, 19 and 20. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, 
so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we will become conscious of our sins. And so what the law does is it illuminates the problem. And the problem is people following the wrong pattern. It's the pattern we talked about in Romans 12, the pattern of this age, the pattern of this world, where everyone is consumed with their own self-righteousness, where everyone is consumed with themselves and their needs, and they're not worried about how their life and how their world affects everyone else. It's the growing division in the church of Rome. And I can promise you, it is the growing division in every single church that is experiencing conflict today in our world. At the center of every single one of those conflicts is a selfishness and a desire to be right. And it is breaking apart churches all throughout our world. And it is one of Satan's greatest tools to to drive wedges in the heart of unity of churches. To create this division. And what the law does is the law comes in and it illuminates the problem. The problem isn't us and them. The problem is everyone. A few, few weeks ago, I guess or this last week, um, I was walking through our house at about 5.15 a.m., um, had just gotten up that morning, and our house is dark, and I don't have any lights on. Um, and by the way, we, we've canceled our security system because we have children. Um, our house is perpetually booby-trapped. And so I'm walking through our dining room. It's pitch black, and all of a sudden, my foot connects with a stool that's supposed to be in the middle of the walkway in the dark dining room because we don't have stools in our dining room. And so there's this stool, and and I I knew that there was a problem when I hit it because the words that wanted to come out of my mouth were were not great. I I hit this stool in the middle, uh, early, early in the morning. I'm not awake yet. It's pitch black, and I needed a light to help illuminate the problem. And when the light came on, I saw that there's a problem. Someone had left a stool there. That stool became something I was going to stumble over. And and the the light illuminated the problem. And for Paul, the law does the same thing. The law illuminates the problem. And the problem is the human condition. And so, he goes on and he says this. And and this this is kind of dense but I want to kind of work through because it's so important to kind of to hit some terms that I think a lot of times we say and we don't really think through what they mean. And sometimes you've maybe never been taught what they mean. So he says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. And we, we talked about a while ago, righteousness is conformity to a standard which is understood to be morally good. So what gives us that standard? The law. But what does Paul say? Paul says, But now, apart from the law, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. 
And the prophets testify this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Wait, not, not given just to the Gentiles? Not, not just given to the ones who got it right? Not given to the ones who follow the law perfectly and have tried their best? And, but it's given to all who believe. And we'll come back to this word given in just a little bit. Given to all through faith in Jesus Christ, to all who believe, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Who's the problem? All are the problem. How are all justified? How are all made right? Through the redemption that comes in Jesus Christ. Now, understand how big of an issue this would be. This this phrase, he says, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile to this church in Rome. There's no difference. Is there a difference? Yeah, there's a difference. We're God's chosen people. We're the ones who've got it right. We're the ones who are superior to everyone else. But what Paul says is, no, you're part of the problem. And all are justified freely. And this word justification, it means to be declared righteous or right with God. In Hebrew, I'm sorry, in Greek, um, Righteousness and justification are the same root word. Okay? So to be justified is to be declared righteous or right with God. And remember, this happens apart from the law. This is so foreign and so mind-blowing to these Jewish Christians. How are you right with God? By following the law, by getting it right, by making sure everything falls into place. And they're all justified freely by His grace. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood. And this word atonement, sacrifice of atonement, takes us back to Leviticus. Leviticus 16. He says, He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain, and do with it as he did the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. Now he goes on to say why. Because in this way he will make atonement for the most holy place. What is the most holy place? The most holy place is where the priest goes to meet with God. It's where people encountered God most closely. And so he's making atonement, really the idea of forgiveness, He's getting rid of the past because, why are they to do this? Why are the priests to do this? Because the uncleanliness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. Why are we to do this? Because of uncleanness and rebellion. Because Israel, God's chosen people, has never gotten it right. As much as they would boast about it, as much as they would lead you to believe, they've never fully gotten it right. God presented Christ 
Going back to Romans. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. This idea of believing that Jesus is not through the works of the law, not through getting it all right, but through believing that Jesus died and rose from the dead. This gospel that he starts out Romans talking about, that Jesus by his death, burial, and resurrection has overcome sin and death and now become king of the world to be received by faith. And he did this to demonstrate his righteousness. His righteousness. Because of the forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He, he goes on to say this. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. The, the idea of this moral goodness. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So as to be just. The one who is right, the one who is righteous, the one who is morally good, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. What's so beautiful about this passage is here one of God's greatest attributes, his goodness, his justness, his righteousness, not only is an attribute, but it becomes a gracious gift. His justness, his goodness, isn't just something that he is. It is something he gives to all who believes through faith. This attribute of God's righteousness becomes a gracious gift. And what is the fullness of that gracious gift? It is this new status, this new family, this new future, that, that who you were, whether Jew or Gentile, no longer matters because it's about who has faith in this Jesus Christ. This one who has died and been resurrected and raised into new life and is now standing as king of the whole world. And to those who have faith in this Jesus, they are justified, they are made righteous, they are made whole. Now, now think about this. Think about how beautiful this is. Because for every single one of us, we can point out all of the ways that we have been unfaithful in our past. You can point out all of the times where you have taken God's good creation and moved in directions that it was never intended to to go. God meant sex to be something beautiful for a man and a woman to experience in marriage, and so many people take it outside of that context. Through affairs, through pornography, through unnatural relationships, people take it in so many different directions. God's good gift is taken and used in the wrong ways. God gives us these mouths that are there to help bless people and, and bring hope and healing into this world. And how often do we use it to speak evil and make accusations against people and speak in gossip and hateful terms? That God gave something good and we use it in ways that was never intended 
to be used. And every single one of us would say, you, me, me, me. I am unrighteous. But what Paul says is, no, that's okay. Because that puts all of us on equal ground. Jew and Gentile alike are one. We were intended to be part of the solution, and yet we are part of the problem. That we are broken and we're messed up. And if we're not careful, our brokenness, our messed upness, will start causing division and divide and break down the bonds of unity. Why? Because we've chained ourselves to sin and death. And we've allowed it to be our master. And what Paul wants you to know, what Paul wants all of us to know, is that your brokenness puts all of us as equals. And it's only through our faith in Jesus that Jesus Christ is Lord, has been raised from the dead, and our faith, our hope, our trust in Him, He declares you righteous. God declares you is righteous. All I can think about are so many ways that I've messed up and how wrong I am so often. And yet God says no. Through the death of Jesus, you are righteous. And you are justified to stand before me. God's most beautiful attribute becomes a most gracious gift. I cannot help but think of how often we put our hope in who we are or who our family is or what we have done. In our tradition, we kind of got a bad rap for years because we claim to be the only ones. I don't think we ever really claimed it, maybe, but people saw that in us. And I think they see that through an arrogance. And what Paul does at the end of this chapter is he comes back and he says, well, then who can boast? Who can boast in their goodness? No one. No one. The only hope that you have, the only thing you can boast in is Jesus Christ. The only thing that you can point to and say, I am righteous and I am justified and I am good is because of what Jesus has given to us. And it's given to all who have faith in Him. What is it that you hope in? What is it that you find your security in? 
What, what is it that you look at and say, God, thank you for not making me like them? We boast in a lot of things. And where our boasting ends, it ends at a table. It ends at a table where all are invited and all are made equal to come and sit around the table. A table that has been purified and is purifying this world. A table that that we are invited to invite people to, to come and sit around the Lord's table. You know, Virgil Smith that we started with did some pretty incredible things because people were in need. And you have the exact same opportunity every single day. And it might not be in the floodwaters of Hurricane Harvey on an air mattress, but it might be through loving and embracing people who are hurting and hopeless and so badly need Jesus. Because I think if we were to really grasp what Paul wants you to realize, that we're all part of the problem, but yet still all called to be part of the solution. Because God's gracious attribute has become the most gracious gift. Go and invite people to the table. Go and love people wherever they're at, whatever they're going through, and don't pretend to be above them. Don't pretend, stop pretending, church, that we have it all right, because we don't. We're messed up and we're broken, and it's only through Jesus Christ that we have hope and we have faith in Him. Father, today, Father, it is our brokenness that brings us here. But it's not because it ends in brokenness. It's because it ends in hope, in glorious hope that that the broken is made whole and the unrighteous is declared righteous and that through Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross, through His death, burial, and resurrection, all who were guilty, all who were unrighteous are made whole because we believe in Jesus, the Son of God, the King of the world. Father, we submit our life to you. Help us to see through our brokenness and see your righteousness. Help us to to break down the walls that we use to divide, saying how good we are and how right we are. And Father, find hope and trust in Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Father, today, help us to trust you more than we did the day before. And Father, help us to share the glorious news of Jesus with this world. We pray in his name. Amen.